My name is Maximus Decimus Meridius. I am Iron Man. Hello, 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 happy listeners, and welcome to the second episode of the Post-Credit Pod. My name is Brandon Katz, Senior Entertainment Reporter for The Observer, and I am here with Eric Italiano, Senior Editor at Bro Bible. Combined, we are just barely qualified enough to operate heavy machinery. <laughs> See, I'm just mad that that son of a bitch brought the war to us. A very, very good intro right there, Eric, into what we are talking about today here on the Post Credit Pod. We are continuing to break down the major moments, the blockbuster battles, all the nitty gritty of the DC Extended Universe leading into DC fandom. In our first episode, we did a deep dive into Man of Steel. Be sure to check that out for a great mix of commentary, analysis. Right now, though, we are moving right along into Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice. Do you know the oldest lie in America, Senator? The devils don't come from hell beneath us. They come from the sky. 20 years in Gotham, how many good guys are left? How many stayed that way? He has the power to wipe out the entire human race. To start off, Eric, Batman v Superman introduces a brand new version of the Caped Crusader, which is arguably the most high-pressure feat to pull off in modern blockbuster cinema. So with that in mind, let's start. How do you think the DCEU's portrayal of the Dark Knight compares to other big screen iterations? So I think a good spot to start here would be the hype. The last time that we saw Bat- Batman on film, it sort of reshaped what we knew a superhero film could be. Um, you know, between the new Joker, how down to earth it was, how they were more of crime films with Batman than comic book films that were realistic. Uh, so I think the hype going into this one was massive, especially for me. I'm a huge Batman guy. You know, he was sort of my doorway into this world uh when i was a kid because of the uh the uh, car- cartoon that came out in like the 90s that iconic classic with the red sky Batman um, animated series yeah, amazing yeah and it still holds up to this day um so personally and i i think another key for this is ben affleck was having a moment you know what i mean so this film came out in 2016 Gone Girl came out in 2014. Argo won that same year, I think. So this was a guy who, and he was in his mid-40s, maybe, early 40s, at the peak of his powers, right? It was his version of the reconnaissance. Yes, and perhaps even more so because he was doing it on both ends. He was acting and directing. So in terms of star power and the right moment, it was all there for me. Yeah, you know, introducing a new Batman actor, like I said, hugely challenging proposition, especially coming off the back of beloved, pretty much immediately iconic Dark Knight trilogy. And I think opening the movie 
Batman v Superman from Bruce Wayne's point of view was essentially like Joe Burrow, the number one pick in the 2020 NFL draft, throwing five touchdowns in his pro debut. Because every concern, every question, every piece of skepticism, my, I include myself in that category because I hated the casting, just immediately evaporated all of that. And I was like, holy crap, Bruce Wayne is a kick-ass Batman. So, so I think that the reason that that's a good place to start is because, as you say, when you're doing Batman, expectations are high. Uh, and then, so that leads me into my, my next point, the trailers. In terms of comic book film, there's probably no better selling point than Batman against Superman. You know, like that is as much as a, a, a comic book nerd could really want, especially for the first time. You're going to go to war. is not our enemy. Black and blue. God versus man. Day versus night. The red capes are coming. The red capes are coming. Um, and the trailer like playground conversations did you and your friends be like, well, I bet Batman could yeah. be Superman. Yeah. yeah. And, and there was a point where we both, I don't know about you, but just kind of the general vibe was, you know, there was a time 15 years ago, 20 years ago, where we would never think that we would get that. Uh, and then the trailers did a good job of capturing the hype of that. I went back and watched all three, you know, and they, and you could tell that they changed the way that they wanted to sell it as it was going on. In the first trailer that came out the Comic-Con before, like the year before, it has a quote from Batman saying, we have to destroy him, which I don't even know if that made the final cut, but it was very much selling Batman as the villain of this film, which I thought was very cool. So that leads into how do I feel, how does this Batman compare to, to the rest? The aesthetic to me is incredible. Best Batman suit in live action. I've always, and, I, and I, I'm not sure how you feel on this, I've always been pro-gray suit. I've always loved the gray suit, and that ties into animated series. So I, I've always been dying to see the gray. I thought they nailed that. The nightmare look, where he's in, like, the desert, also is fucking kick-ass. The bat cave, uh, the bat symbol, his armor, it all, I think, looks great. All Even that funky, like mechanized Batman suit. I was like, that's stupid, but also I want like 12 of them. Even the voice. Voice. You know. That was that was probably the best aesthetic that, voice. We're gonna that voice. <laughs> it's just it it was such a smart way to work around what was previously probably the biggest it's criticism of the prior Batman was his voice is ridiculous. By the Dark Knight Rises, Christian Bale's Batman voice was an absolute meme punchline, like viral hilarity. It gets so bad. It really gets bad. So and this was just a simple, easy workaround. So I think that all that was great. All that great aesthetic is then translated into a kinetic aesthetic in that warehouse fight, which I think is sort of, as a Batman fan, the scene I've always chased. That's the, that is the Batman I've always wanted to see. Give me three hours of that shit. Him <laughs> jumping through buildings and 
kicking the shit out of people and 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 seeming this also now the fact that batman would be terrifying so in terms of aesthetically and how he looks on camera great but then there's the discussion of is he an effective batman and that comes later now you say that you want three hours of the warehouse scene what is it about that scene and kind of speaking in a more greater terms the batman action of batman v superman that you liked most and how do you think it either improved differed whatever you want to call it from nolan's trilogy well so i think i think and this is not you know this is not my own thought well one of you know christopher nolan in terms of importance right now the fact that he's one of the few guys who they'll give a blank check to to make his own thing it, it, it is huge so his the way that he has put his imprint on film these last 20 years is astounding but if there's one drawback he doesn't know how to make a good i was gonna say i hear a butt coming his coherence particularly in the batman films when when it comes to action scenes and by the dark knight rises he finally figures it out to stop cutting the camera so much so in those original so in those previous three batman films hand-to-hand combat was probably one of the batman things he did the least which is my favorite aspect of batman him kicking ass this Batman, to me, felt like the most dangerous Batman we've ever seen. And, and we'll get into kind of how he uses the physicality and whether or not we agree with some of the choices made. But just strictly from a fighting standpoint, he is by far the most visually skilled fighter of the live action kind of, you know, Mount Rushmore Batman. Would you agree? Uh, yeah, for sure. And, I, and I, I don't really think it's close either because he... And this kind of leads into how far he's willing to go with the pain that he's going to inflict. But because this sort of curtain of do-gooding of I'm not going to kill this guy has been removed, it then allows Batman to be as brutal and, as you say, dangerous as we see him. Just like as a kind of parallel to who Batman is when he's Batmaning and fighting criminals, I like what they did with Bruce Wayne here as well. Now, while I think his central conflict with Superman isn't exactly as well-earned as the script would like, I do really enjoy that Ben Affleck's Batman is A, this kind of grizzled war veteran of a vigilante, someone who's been fighting crime for 20 years. We are dropped into, you know, his career kind of at the tail end which is something we've never really had in terms of a blockbuster depiction. And also we've seen the toll that it's taken on this Bruce Wayne. He's a flawed man. He's a man of appetites who loves to drink wine. He loves to, you know, sleep with pretty girls. And he's, he's essentially more James Bond-esque in that, that he's this kind of rough outer shell that it's not very well put together. And the only thing that's kind of pushing him forward life is his vigilanteism to the point where you think maybe that's part of his addiction and it goes hand in hand with the womanizing with the drinking with the kind of self-abuse and i did think all of that wrapped together made for an interesting psychological profile that that stands right alongside his physicality and his choices as a kind of batman in action this is this is the kind of question of batman v superman the one that's been debated he kills a lot of people in this movie. Do we agree with it? Do we not? What's your take? So I, I, I feel like I'm going to talk about this a lot on this show is concept versus execution. Now, in concept, one of the long 
running knocks on Batman is that he should just man up and shoot the Joker. Get it done with. Save Gotham and its people, the terror and the money, and get over your little credo and just kill him. And I think that that's a fair point because, you know, while that would end the story, if we're talking about the one human or not the one human superhero, but probably the most famous and the human superhero, he should be able to feel the pain of humanity more than anybody else. So the fact that he's continually willing to let the Joker and all these lunatics wreak havoc on his streets is going to be an ongoing debate for as long as the character is is around. So in that sense, the fact that this version of Batman it was willing to kill, albeit clearly not kill Joker. Perhaps had we gotten more of this, we would have found out that perhaps the Joker himself is what pushed him to start to kill, you know? Um, so in concept, I like it. I, I, I think it's brave. But then there's the way that they filmed it. And I think that I'm okay with it in the nightmare scene because it's like sci-fi, you know? Um, no, we'll get to the nightmare scene. Ugh. Um, and I'm, I'm even okay with how brutal it is in the warehouse scene. Cause I don't think it's very explicit. Like he'll, he bashes that guy's head against the wall, but it's not the same of blowing up his car. You know, like that guy, theoretically you could say, wink, wink, he lived, but then there's, and I think that this is the most pointed to that car chase scene where I think that the 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 concept went too far and there was just simply no reason to have him have all these rockets and these bullets on his car steamrolling and exploding everything that came in his way yeah i mean conceptually speaking i I agree with what you're saying i like the idea that after 20 years of him feeling like a failure like his efforts haven't actually made much of a difference he's pushed to this extreme. But I don't think in Batman v Superman, either the theatrical cut or the ultimate cut, that it comes across as insightful or or well-earned or well-developed in any way. And it also doesn't really leave much wiggle room for the character since he starts off the movie essentially as a shameless murderer. Now, I know that in other versions, Batman has killed people. I get that, especially in live action but it's never been so overt as it is here. And I think potentially a better way that they could have gone about it, I would have liked to seen them use the nightmare sequence as a kind of warning of what Batman could become. He sees himself murdering people left and right. And then later in the movie, because he knows what he is capable of, because he knows how easy it would be for him, a little bit borrowing from kind of the under the red hood speech, he could pull himself back from that brink and from killing in the real world. And I think that would have been more potent and emotionally resonant. But what we get is just so on the nose and so obvious and, and just the complete and utter lack of compassion that he Now, should. why do you think he made that choice? I think Zack Snyder likes edgy and extreme. I mean, this is the same guy who said, you know, if Batman went to jail, we're going to have some bat rape. And like... I understand he said that. Oh my god! Yeah, yeah. It was it was an odd question. I mean, an odd, you know, an odd piece of hypothetical to put out there. Right. And I get trying to put forth a new vision, and I get trying to get even darker with Batman. But I do think you can accomplish the same goal without him being essentially a mass murderer. Even if these are criminals, even if these are people who deserve to die, 
it gives Superman, you know, even more of a kind of moral high ground case against Batman when they should be on a little bit more even territory. But do you think then then that's why he did it? To give Superman that sort of foothold? Because otherwise, in theory, I, I think one of the great points that he makes is if Superman wanted to, he could burn the whole thing down and there couldn't be a goddamn thing that we could do about it. So in that sense, you, you, you immediately understand if he's, he's Batman, he is the protector of Gotham. And then as far as he knows earth, you know what I mean? So perhaps he had to make Batman more hardcore to really have to make you choose a side and not make it so black and white. But I don't think it is black and white, nor do I think that you need to make Batman more hardcore for him to be afraid and or concerned about an alien burning it all down. No, more hardcore, to, more hardcore to justify Superman's response to him. Because Superman kind of drops down from uh, the sky. He's like, the bat is dead. End it. And if, and, if, and if he's not this sort of brutal Batman, you're like, what the hell, Superman? Go back to your city. So I think in context, Superman is doing that because Lex Luthor in the ultimate cut is revealed to be essentially framing Batman for sending prisoners to his death because anyone with the Batman brand is getting killed in prison. Now, whether it's the theatrical cut, which makes zero sense because that subplot is mostly cut out or the ultimate cut in which that subplot is fully portrayed. I still don't think it's just quality storytelling. I think it's very manufactured drama. So then and, you're out. So then, so then I would say I'm in on it. Are are you? On Batman Killing, I'm I'm out at, to this degree of obviousness. If there had been a little bit more restrained and a little bit less overt, I could have been way in. And yeah. I also think, though, having said that, Batman should totally kill Joker. That's that's essentially a domestic terrorist who's been running around for you know 10, 15 years. I think. You know, we have cops killing innocent people in America, like let alone serial killers. Right, right. So yeah, I'm, I'm cool with Batman just ixnaying Joker for good. <laughs> but you know, because Batman is such a grizzled veteran who's who again has been fighting crime in Gotham for 20 years, I get conceptually how he reaches this point. But do you think because Ben Affleck's Batman was an older Bruce Wayne, do you think that could have been a sustainable pillar in the DCU long term? Because clearly Warner Brothers wanted their own version of the MCU, which is a you know a ten plus year running story. How would they have gone about doing that with a Batman you know who in a few years would have been approaching fifty? So I one of the things that I was most hyped about seeing was every time we've seen a Batman villain up until this point, it was the first time that they were to exist in, in that world. It's their origin story. So the idea of seeing a version of Batman that has a 20-year past with these iconic characters was very cool to me. We have never seen that before. You know, like just to be like, for like him and like, let's say, you know, in theory, the, the Riddler. To have a past, I think would be a very cool thing. I think at the time, again, we discussed he was probably in his early 40s so he still looked young enough where they could use some de-aging to make him look younger for the sake of a plot if they had to you know to tell a story like if they wanted to tell a one-off and go backwards and not really involve the current dceu and just kind of tell a batman story from his come up he looks young enough where he could pass as 
you know, 35, right? This CrossFit Batman is definitely like the best looking Batman. So I also think that he's old enough to, if they wanted to go a Dark Knight Returns route, and, and really I think the, the oldest part about his look is his graying hair, really let that go. I think he could have pulled that off too. So I think that, and there's the con- conversation of Affleck himself, again, is a star. So the selling point at the, at, like, at, he, he was at his perhaps all time high. Um, so I think in, in terms of were there stories to tell and would people have wanted to see them? Yes, it could have been sustained in that sense. Yeah, me too. I mean, and we don't necessarily need Batman at the forefront of every action scene either, especially as the DCEU got more into like these, you know, the Doomsdays, the Steppenwolves, the Dark Seeds. It's like, what is Batman really going to do? But he could have been team leader. He could have been the planner. He could have been the brains behind the operation and, you know, some really cool Bruce Wayne scenes as well. So in terms of sustainability, I've seen, well, like, oh, he would be way too old, geriatric Batman. There are so many workarounds beyond that point that I don't think that actually would have been a problem. And, you know, the reason I think we're starting this podcast so Batman focused is because overall Batman v Superman to me is very, very flawed and, and very much a missed opportunity for something that could have been truly epic. But the first 45 minutes of this movie, I pretty much loved because they're essentially a Batman movie, a new Batman movie. And to your point, not a kind of beginning of a Batman movie. It is like they're dropping us into episode four of like a, a, a really cool serialized television drama, but we're so familiar with the history in the background that we don't need to see the first couple of episodes to understand exactly what's going on, which is why we can pick right up with an established Batman and just be on our way with some really cool scenes, starting with the opening of him running through Metropolis like a madman and going full Bruce Wayne, not even Batman, which was a great idea as well. Yeah. And, uh, but then I think there, there's a, you know, there's, could he sustain his Batman and then could he sustain his Bruce Wayne as well? Uh, A very underrated fact of playing him is that you don't just have to look good in, in the suit. Bruce Wayne is perhaps in these films more than Batman. So Ben's sort of boozing, older, reckless take on Bruce Wayne, who sort of leans into the ideas of billionaires that we have, sort of these cocky, arrogant, I could do what I want type people. I think that that was all that that could have definitely been out further. Yeah. And now that we've kind of covered Batman, I think it's time to get on to Superman a little bit in this movie, which leads us into our next kind of more quick hitting segment. Superman in this, I have a big, big problem, big problem with his characterization. But I want to first start off by asking you, what's the best hero moment of Batman v Superman? Because my answer is directly tied into some of the problems I have with Superman's depiction. Well, I think there's only one correct choice here. So I'm really, I'm I'm really, uh, but I have two. Don't, don't get it twisted. I have to. In typical two. fashion, Eric is again trying to outshow me by having multiple answers to every question. So I think the obvious choice is Wonder Woman showing up to save Batman. If there was one thing to take away from this film that was a huge home run, it's her. And every time she pops up on screen, she, steal, she steals the show. Um, and I think that... You know, her showing up not only at a crucial time in the plot, 
but to literally save Batman's helpless ass as he's sitting there like he can't get off the seatbelt. Like, like, de- like and you're Batman. All he does is put death, his up. Death via seatbelt, you know? So like I think that that's the obvious choice. Secondarily, because this is again called Batman v Superman, not so much when he does the men are brave quote, because while again in concept I I like it, I think it's a clunky line. When they first square up and Batman steps up to him face to face and he's like, I understand. Well, here I am. Bruce, please. I was wrong. You have to listen to me. Lex wants us to... You don't understand. There's no time. I understand. That takes, like, I tried to put myself in the headspace of the balls that that takes. You know what I mean? And he's got this, like, sick grin on his face because he knows that he's got this dude's number. Superman doesn't even know Kryptonite exists at this point. And Batman's got it in a gas. So he knows he's got him dialed up. So he charges at him, chest out. I'm not afraid of you. I'm ready to brawl. So I think that those two are, are my two. Just most of my important, my most important takeaway from what you just said is that for our next phone call, when we're planning the next podcast, just please talk in your Batman voice the entire time. Mm-hmm. I'd, I'd really appreciate that. My best hero moment. It's a bit literal and heavy handed, but it is the montage of Superman literally saving people. That is the best hero moment of this movie because it is the clearest depiction of Superman being a hero, which this movie fails to do at almost every other turn, and doubly confusing, is not even factored into Batman's decision-making whatsoever. Yes, Superman brought essentially Zod to Metropolis and showed the world what what type of danger is out there and what capabilities these beings have. And that is why Batman initially is like, well, we got to get rid of this guy. But every action Superman has made since then, essentially up until Batman v Superman, is of him saving lives, going out there, protecting the innocent, trying to do what's right. And yet Batman does not factor that decision. It does not factor those choices into his decision making whatsoever. It doesn't do any detective work to explore who Clark Kent is in his daily life. And there are just so many steps that feel like they were totally skipped to contrive this conflict between the two, that that is why that moment of that scene of Superman being his most aspirational and inspirational is so important to me and what this movie could have used more of overall. So here's an important time to bring up the ultimate cut because I said to you in a text that how much it expands on Clark figuring out Batman's deal and working as Clark Kent, the Daily Planet journalist. That's, that was the point that I made before. The ultimate cut allows me to understand his problem with Batman, which I previously in the theater cut, you don't really get. 
you don't really understand. I mean, yes, outside of the fact that he's being tricked, you would still think that he would just fly to Batman and be like, yo, I need a hand with this. But because he's doing his heroically, morally correctness in these scenes that were cut from the film, um, I think that the Snyder cut of this film gives you a better, more of the hero vibe that you say this film lacks, which to be fair to you, the theater cut does lack. I will agree and concede that the ultimate cut makes more logical sense from a plotting standpoint, but I also don't think at the same time that that necessarily makes it good. Is that a fair statement? Because it still fails to me in what it's trying to do, even if it does make more sense than what we got in the compressed theatrical. I think it takes it from being a okay film that you really have to squint at to make the case for it being good to just a good action movie. Just good. Okay. You got like a 74 on, on your test or like a 77 even. Fair enough, baby. So exactly. Uh, Holler at your boy with that one. Um, So So who is your real MVP of this movie? Like who are you giving it up to that clearly shows out the most in what is otherwise a complicated and uneven picture? This one is going to blow your mind, Brandon. All right. Hit me. Brian Cranston. Whoa, okay. Let me hear the explanation behind this one. So this could be my brain just like lying to me. I recall this pretty uh, specifically that when, when when they were doing the casting, and this was at the end of Breaking Bad's run, uh, that he, that they wanted him for Lex, who I think is the worst part of this film. I think that if that role, and we will get into that, I promise you. so I think that had Brian Cranston, who we all know is fantastic, I think had they gotten him instead, um, this who knows what this film could have been. I truly believe that. Um, now, in a more serious one, I, I talked about this at the top, Batman's look, the suit, the cowl, the voice, the armor, the Batcave, the Batmobile, the bat symbol in the sky, his graying hair, his suits, his apartment. This is cool. Alfred's steez. He's like handsome Alfred, like goes out at night and gets laid at Alfred. Like who, you know what I mean? So everything about Batman's sort of vibe, I loved. I am so glad that you brought up Alfred because Alfred is my real MVP award because he's the only guy in the movie with common sense. The only person he's worried about Bruce is drinking. He hopes Bruce finds a meaningful relationship and finds some personal contentment. He's concerned about the Wayne legacy. He most importantly doesn't think Bruce should be fighting Superman because he actually has eyes and pays his attention. Every line of dialogue out of Jeremy Irons' mouth is just spot on accurate takes. The guy is dropping truth bombs all over BVS and is the only one. I'm gonna save this one for a bit, but I disagree completely, completely. Not, I'm sorry, but that is not just a entirely reported opinion that is false. Not uh, again. Not it's it's contact. It's uh, concept versus execution. I like what you're saying in concept, but I think the way that they did it, I'm not a huge fan of. So we'll get get to that soon. I'm very interested to hear the explanation behind that because by far Alfred's the only one who makes sense in this movie. But before we get to that, do you think? 
because there's a lot going on in this movie, both for better and for worse. Do you think there's a villain that could have made this movie better? Yeah, so as we talked about in our Men of Steel pod, we, I, and I think you two, thought that BVS should have been Man of Steel too. Yes. And, that, and that Batman should have shown up at the end. Yep. So when looked at in that context, literally any other villain would have been better. <laughs> so yes, <laughs> because again, we wanted what, what, what we discussed in, in that pod is they set out with the intent of making it a Superman franchise, the same way that, that they did The Dark Knight. And we never got to see that. We never got to see Brainiac, you know, all these iconic Superman villains that we've been wanting to see and haven't gotten to see yet. We will get that with Darkseid, but even I think jumping to Darkseid and Man of Steel 2 would have been a step too far. Yeah, um, he should be like the Thanos of the whole universe. Exactly. So, yes, bottom line, I would have loved to see like a Brainiac-type dude in Man of Steel 2 with maybe Batman even still being in it in the third act completely, you know what I mean? Whether it be a foe or a friend. Or uh, just even like a couple sly references that, that say to the audience, Batman exists in this world, as do, you know, other heroes and other comic book things that you like, but without detracting or taking away from whatever the primary story was. Yet still saying, hey, there's other stuff out here in the world that you're going to really like down the line. Well, to be fair to them, in Man of Steel, when, when he takes the fight to space, he crashes through a Wayne... At, enterprises uh building um so they did drop a seed and we we had discussed this it's not as though i don't think that they had early plans to use this superman in a team up i just don't think that they were planning to do it so quickly no this was clearly a strategic and actually organizational pivot as cited by forbes this movie was originally conceived as a man of steel 2 but then, and it says, and I quote, uh, it was revamped into a backdoor pilot for Justice League and or an eventual standalone Batman film. So that tells you all you need, you need to know. You know, I want to use that before I get to my answer, because you just mentioned something that I was going to bring up later. But maybe to me, the most important in a bad way element of this entire movie, and that is that god-awful backdoor Justice League pilot with that stupid frickin' email. It is so haphazardly shoved into this film in such an inefficient way to introduce the Justice League that it is nothing short of a complete criminal misuse of runtime. The best way, and I want everybody in Hollywood to hear me, every fan, everybody on Twitter, every keyboard warrior, the best way to get fans interested in what's next is to make a good, complete product first and foremost. And then people will care about what's coming next. You don't need all of these egregious attempts at world building and just a plethora of references to sequels and spinoffs and setting up the next adventure. And they're often handled so poorly in Hollywood and detract from the story at hand. But like I said, this is the most egregious example of, but wait until what's next, you guys. It is awful. And it really, truly to me, stops this movie dead in its tracks, halts all momentum and, and leaves a sour taste in my mouth for the remainder of the film. 
Having said that, woo, you got me riled up, Eric, but this is what I have to do. This is what I'm passionate about. Having Friday, said, baby, it's the weekend. There we go. There we go. Is there a villain that could have made this movie better? Yes, but maybe not in the way you're thinking. I think it would have been better with fewer villains because as it stands, Batman v Superman essentially paints Batman, Lex Luthor, and Doomsday as primary antagonists. And it's all way too much to stuff into one movie that is borrowing from the death of Superman. It's borrowing from the Dark Knight Returns. It's borrowing from a handful of different comics that are unbelievable on their own, but a little bit too muddled when all put together. I think each of those three quote unquote antagonists could have and probably should have received their own film to play in and maybe be the central bad guy in. In BVS, if you remove two of those elements, you have a more streamlined and focused story that logically, and you don't have to shove all these different aspects from all these different source materials in, which essentially makes BVS this kind of big, loud movie that has a lot of cool stuff in it, but a lot of things that don't make sense, a lot of things that overlap, and a lot of things that, frankly, are just not gelling and coalescing to a final product that fulfills the potential of what it could have been. Do you know what I mean? Well, I think I agree with you. Uh, you know, there's always the less is more take, especially in, in the case of villains. We've seen this before with Spider-Man 3, you know, is the one that com- comes to uh, mind. Big time. But I didn't feel overwhelmed by the villains in the sense that they were all serving very different roles. Batman was more of an upfront, in-your-face challenger to Superman's powers. Lex was more of a in-the-shadows, behind-the-scenes type. He's the ideological opposite. Yes, and then perfect way to put it. Exactly, Brandon. So whereas Batman was more of a... I mean, he's a... He's, physical he's, he's, challenge. Yeah. Physical challenge. Lex is more of, you know, a, a mental challenge. Um and then Doomsday is sort of like, you know, that every comic book film, that classic third act, we got to blow up a hole in the sky type thing. So that He's also the unifying force. So that doesn't characters. surprise me. And I was going to save this for later, but I guess I'll bring it up now. Uh, my biggest problem with the amount of villains is that they teased Doomsday at all. You went into that film, if you saw the uh, trailer, like the last trailer before it came out, you went into it knowing that Doomsday was going to be in it. And I think that's a huge, huge flaw because even if you know in your heart of hearts Batman and Superman will, you know, make up and be friends, including the ultimate villain that they're going to have to conquer as a team in the trailer, in the fucking trailer, takes away all potential drama that perhaps things don't work out that perhaps Batman did kill him etc so I so I wouldn't have minded Doomsday being a surprise because then not only would it have been not only would it have not been a spoiler but then it would have been an added bonus you know what I mean just when when you think it's over like okay Batman and them fought he saved Clark Kent's mom you know and then Doomsday, boom, we get a half an hour more of fighting. That would have been sweet. But I, so I think they overloaded with, they showed too much of their hand. Yeah, and Doomsday is not a big enough name 
to non-comic book fans where you needed to include him for marketing purposes, you know? Because average Joe Schmo on the street is not being like, wow, Doomsday's in this, I gotta see this. They're saying, hey, what did that Lord of the Rings troll do to get into BVS? This is wild, I don't get it. So it really, it seemed unnecessary to push him in the trailers, whereas you could have just had him, like you said, surprise is an added value element at the end of the film that also doesn't take away the tension from the conflict, although I think the poor writing does that in and of itself, but you know, we'll get there. <laughs> so speaking of kind of these letdowns in terms of villains, I wanna switch gears and ask you, who would you give the Jared Leto award for the worst performance in this movie? And I have a feeling we might have the same answer. So B, this is, I think that, I think that of all the BVS conversations that have gone on in the last, um, you know, four years since the film that comes out about, about what went wrong and what they did right. I think that the Lex Luthor casting, and you know what? Not even the casting, because he is a talented guy. Jesse Eisenberg's performance, for me, borders on ruining the entire film. And I mean that not as like a hot takey joke. I really do mean he is a this film, one of the one of its drags that it is hyper serious, which is not what people always want. You and I have discussed that we like the darker tone. So that's fine with me. But Eisenberg's campy taxi and even the idea of him like updating him for a new age relating him to to a business mogul that you and i know love it i think it's very smart and in watching him play mark zuckerberg you could see in theory what they were going for he is a very menacing presence because he's so much fucking smarter than you and he talks circles around you all that stuff where his portrayal came from, whether it was from the script or whether he came out with it on his own, I think is a disastrous flaw. I think his his daddy problems are cringeworthy, particularly I think a great scene is on the roof where he bounces between being legitimately threatening. Every boy's special lady is his mother. Martha, Martha, Martha. Mm. The mother of a flying demon must be a witch. The punishment for witches, what is that? That's right, death by fire. He has Superman on his knees. But then in the next line, he could sound like an utter buffoon. So I just think his performance in it, it, not only is it not in step with the film, it's in step with the character. Yeah, the imagery doesn't match the thematic content and vice versa. It's like, like you said, Superman on his knees, which is a beautiful moment of you know, terror and power, power and power. And yet the conversation between the two is so overwrought that it really undercuts any momentum that that moment should have. Now, 
I agree with you. Jesse Eisenberg is a good actor, but he is a good actor who, for whatever reason, gives a performance so full of distracting, annoying, actorly ticks that every scene with Lex is just flat out painful. It is an awful depiction of the character. And people will argue, well, you know, that's the point. But that doesn't change the fact that he's so unbalanced that A, I don't buy him actually as a genius billionaire CEO who could like run a Fortune 500 company, let alone dress himself in the morning. And B, his scenes detract from the movie. You know, it's, it's, it's just so over the top that it pulls you out of the moment. And even beyond that, I just don't even like that he essentially doesn't have a plan beyond Doomsday killing Superman. Like, like then what? Doomsday goes on to destroy the un- entire world? That would leave him powerless, you know, without a company, probably dead. Like, what was the second phase beyond just killing Superman? Because no one is going to care that you expose Superman as a false god if the entire world is burning. And so that just added another element of like, this guy's a freaking idiot to me. Um, but, but that said, like, so I think that there's, and uh, you know, cause I don't want to just bury him because, you know, again, he's a talented guy. And I think that there's some stuff that works. And I think a, a, a great scene to point out is the scene on, on the roof. When he says, when you got here, you had one hour and now you have less. That is an awesome villain line. I think he hits that one out of the park, but rewind the clock back a minute. And he's saying to Lois, daddy's fists and abominations. Like it, it, it's just, it, it's so all over the place that while, as you said, it distracts from the, from the film as a whole, it takes you right out of it. There are pieces there where if he just toned it down, if he's at a 12, if he just dialed it back to like an eight. It could have worked. It could have worked. Having them be a little quirky and a little weird, I don't think it's the worst thing. But it was just pushed to such... The scene with the Jolly Rancher where he puts it in the, the old white guy's mouth. Like, <laughs> so I'm glad that you're on the same page as me because that really is the only choice. To kind of wrap up my, my Eisenberg as Lex Luthor thoughts, and this again, I, I think it's more due to story mechanics and, and direction than I do Eisenberg but I think the jar of piss is a microcosm to everything that was wrong with that because that element to me, that scene is trying so hard to be edgy and cool and dramatic and this like clever little callback that explains how smart he is compared to everyone else. And yet to me, it feels so transparent and odd and ineffective. And I think that feeling runs through most of the Lex scenes in this movie, at least in my opinion. Now, where do you think the buck stops? Does this ultimately fall at, at the feet of Zack Snyder? I think, you know, it's an entire story direction. Oh, obviously, yes, the director is ultimately in charge. And I think, you know, he could have had input on the script that, that changed things for the better if he wanted. But so, yeah, I, I'm blaming Snyder, but I do think this was kind of a... Because I just don't get how, whether it be uh, Eisenberg himself, Snyder, people sharing scenes with him, how is no one like, bro, what fucking movie, sorry, how is no one like, bro, what movie are you in? 
you know, like Eisenberg's a good actor, and I think yeah, it's like just so striking to us. Enough. The fact that we're we're both like this borders on ruining the entire show, and the fact that nobody involved in the entire production at any point was like, hey, bro, turn it down a little bit. Crazy to me, absolutely crazy to me. I hate. I'm just thinking about his like Prometheus speech, and I'm I'm I'm, I'm getting twitchy myself. Just like, oh, it makes me feel so awkward. It's like Michael Scott if he was a psychotic killer. Yeah. So let's switch gears, though. We've talked about the negative performance. What would you say is the Jim Gordon Award for the best performance from a non-superhero? I think that we're going to have... good stuff in here. I think that we're going to have the same one here, so I want you to go first. All right, maybe. I don't know. Let's, let's see. My answer, Holly Hunter is Senator Finch. I really like Holly Hunter because she's just a classic great actress. But something that I think was a bit of a missed opportunity, I would have loved to seen her character stick around in this universe as the kind of real world representative of the, the federal government and how, you know, someone in a democratic position of power would have responded to Superman. And I thought that it would have been really cool if she carried over through several movies as this kind of half Amanda Waller, half Martin Freeman's character in, in the MCU. And that would have been a grounded, realistic take that added a new element that also had some carryover effect. And, and I think keeping Holly Hunter around for anything is always a good idea from an acting standpoint. So this was the, and I swear to God, this was the first one that I wrote down because I think that it's important that there's somebody, you know, Clark Kent has no idea. Superman has no idea. She is the only one checking Lex and being like, hey, maybe we, we shouldn't give this nut job this space rock. You know, like uh, just something to think about. So I respect that. And, I, and uh, uh, as you say, she just acts circles around everybody. But at, the, awesome. but at the same time, she also gets absolutely clowned. Like Lex outwits her to such a degree that he blows up a Capitol building. You know what I mean? Like, so not only did she not succeed in her goal of, of keeping this rock away, like had she just said yes, she probably would be still alive. So then I changed it because I think it's an important time to talk about a huge character in this film, Amy Adams as Lois Lane. All right, hit me. As we talked about in Man of Steel, she's a real character. She's not just a damsel in distress. She's given real things to do. She plays a role in the plot. Just like you said about uh, Alfred, she seems to be the only one using her brain at all. (laughs) (laughs) You know, with the Superman thing and the government thing and trying to clear Clark's name and trying to figure out how this all went wrong. Again, in the ultimate cut, they further flesh out what she's doing there and how it all goes wrong. It involves a, a, a drone. And I would implore you, if you haven't seen this, it's on HBO Max right now. It's long. It's like three, three hours plus, but, it's, but it, it fleshes out the, the plot more, gives her more to do, makes her plot make more sense. And then thirdly, she's involved in, in the film to such an extent that even in the hole in the sky third act she's still involved so i think that she's a crucial part of the film i think her character in a franchise that is marred down by as you call them tons of mischaracterizations i think lois lane in these two films is great and then on a branch of that as we touched on in man of steel terry white 
just seems like the coolest boss of all time. Lois needs a chopper. Get her a chopper. <laughs> Clark. Clark Kent is never at work. And when he is, doesn't do explicitly what he's told. He's nope. openly insubordinate to the editor-in-chief of probably, in that world, America's biggest news outlet. And he says, no problem. No problem. Where's Clark? Hardy, hardy, hardy. You know what I mean? So, like, I think that I that the Daily Planet, for being such an upstanding paper i would love to work there i would love to work with perry white we also talked about it in the man of steel episode which you guys should all go listen to that he's just the best boss you know sticking with his staff trying to protect them lawrence fishburne is the man perry white is the man just a great pairing right there now sticking with casting what's your pleasantly surprising casting or cameo note of this movie because i think there are a few to choose from okay so let's get the the obvious one done with uh, Bruce Wayne's parents yeah, are, pl- are played by Jeffrey Dean Morgan and Laura, is it Cohen or Cohen? I think it's Cohen. Cohen. Lauren Cohen, who is from, how I met your Walking brother? Dead. The Walking Dead. Oh, they both are, in fact. Yeah, which is interesting. But Jeffrey Dean Morgan had a big career before that, too. But like, then, both, even both deeper, reasons. this is a deep cut here. When Man of Steel flies Doomsday to space and the government agencies are like, determining if they should hit them with a nuke. The voice of POTUS is Patrick Wilson. Really? Yeah. I didn't know that. Who, of so course, get them there. Who, of course, starred in Watchmen. So there's a little, you know, tie in there. And then goes on to be King Orm in Aquaman. And, right. And as we talk about in that podcast, um, who is just one of those guys that you just love. You know what I mean? Like he's a he's a jawline, he's a square or jawline short of being like an eight like an A-list guy. You know what I mean? Like well he, he seems to have all the pieces really. He's handsome, he could do drama, he's in the conjuring, which is a huge franchise. Uh so I just thought it was cool that, you know, he tossed his voice in there. That was a deep cut, man. Respect on the research there. Thank you, sir. I think my answer is probably Scoot McNary. He plays the former Wayne uh, Enterprises employee who unfortunately loses his legs, ends up in the wheelchair, and as a patsy of Lex Luthor. But this is a really, really solid character actor who's been putting in good work across the board for years. See, hold on. I'm going to cut, cut in here. I think he's a name at this point. I don't think he's a name. I well, don't think to, I, I, I guess to us, yeah. yeah but to like covers entertainment, yeah. But like, I, if you go ask any of your friends who aren't who is this guy? pop culture, name that guy. No, I can't okay. get no one. No one. Fair. Sorry. All right. Go ahead. But for those who don't know, he's the guy who's in Halt and Catch Fire. He's been in Fargo. He's been in True Detective. He was on Love Life, which was the the big kind of HBO Max original that launched. Now I hated his character, but I think he's a very good actor that brought some pathos to that you know minor role and, and made a smaller role memorable, which I really liked. But I also think some of his interactions are up for the nomination for the Tin Ear Award for the worst line of dialogue. It's not my ultimate choice, although I do think a couple of his interactions could be, you know, given the top spot. What would you go with, though, for the absolute worst line of dialogue in BBS? So we've got a few here, Brandon. Surprise, surprise. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So I think we definitely are going to have one that's the same here because it's not, it's so bad that it's part of the general conversation uh, about this film. But let's do some smaller ones first. When Lex meets with Holly Hunter's character for the first time in his like dad's creepy office and he 
affects this sort of country twang. Oh, no, sorry. It's when they're in the lab. And he affects this sort of country twang where he's like, uh, we don't have to depend on the kindness of monsters. And why would we want to weaponize this material? As a deterrent? A silver bullet to keep in reserve to use against the Kryptonians? So the day does not come, madame, when your children are waving daisies at a reviewing stand. Last I looked, the only one of those flying around up here was Superman. <laughs> yes, Superman. Yeah, but there are, uh, there are more of them. The metahuman thesis. Yes, the metahuman thesis. More likely than not, these exceptional beings live among us. The basis of our myths, gods among men upon our, our little blue planet here. You don't have to use a silver bullet, but if you forge one, well then, we don't have to depend upon the kindness of monsters. What? <laughs> what? <laughs> what are you talking about? Like, where? where, where I, so that's just part of, I don't understand how anybody didn't ask him, what movie are you in? Like, I completely understand that within the context of this movie, he is a you know, billionaire CEO, but he's also a, a young 30-something guy talking to a senator of the United States government. Like, be formal. Show yeah. some respect, my man. So that's a small one. Another small one, and uh, and then this is just quick, the news debates about Superman, should he be in this world, blah, blah, blah. Heavy-handed, get that out of there. Bruce yeah. Wayne saying, my parents taught me nothing matters from dying in the gutter. Awful, awful. That uh, sounded like it was from Rorschach's journal. Exactly. It was so like drama. Uh, so, and now here's where we get to some with more meat, and where I bring up your point about uh, Alfred. He's too quippy. Every time he appears on screen, he makes a wisecrack. But not only is it a wisecrack, he's the only one in the room. He's making wisecracks to himself. Even you've got too old to die young. And not for lack of trying. Oh, I hope the next generation of Waynes won't inherit an empty wine cellar. Not that there's likely to be a next generation. Every time he's on camera. And so while I think Jer Jeremy Irons, right? You're laughing because you agree. Okay, I, I gotta be honest. I didn't realized that my first time around and now that you have said that I, you're right that's a there's one very, about, there's one about no one's there to laugh who are you talking to my man bro bruce is obviously not on your vibe like <laughs> you know what i mean and then I the mean, big yeah you're right conceptually i really like alfred and i like the content of what he's saying but i never really thought about it every single thing he says is equipped to nobody yeah so i just found that utterly preposterous and then this is the big one, of course, where we'll, we have to di dive into. It's save Martha. <laughs> now, this brings us back to a theme here, concept versus execution. In concept, I like the idea of, because that had never occurred to me, that both of their moms have the same name. You know what I mean? Like, it's not something that you just think about, really. That's just lazy writing, DC. Come on. <laughs> So I think in concept, having Bruce Wayne, whose parents' death inspires literally his entire life, having finally wrapping his head around Clark is not just an alien. He's somebody that has a mother. I think that's a great way to find common ground between these two titans. 
But on what earth is anybody, especially in their dying breath, calling their mother by their first name? It just doesn't make sense. It never made sense. They knew you could see what they were trying to do, but just couldn't figure out how to do it. And so they just went, screw it. Instead of paving a clear road, we'll just make a haphazard shortcut and just shove it on on in there. And not only just shove it on in there, but have it be the crucial point of perhaps the movie's dramatic peak. So I think that in terms of bad lines, this line is in context as bad as we'll find in the DCEU so far. Look, the Martha scene has been talked to death over the last four years. So I'm not going to spend a lot of time harping on it, you know, additionally to what's been said. But here's what I will say. One, he already should have known that Martha Kent was his mother by doing some detective work and figuring out Superman's secret identity. Number two, he already should have known about Superman's humanity based on the post-Man of Steel actions that we've discussed and his leading by example in terms of helping people and saving innocents. Number three, him saying the name shouldn't be the driving force behind Batman's realization that he is capable of good and his own humanity similar to Bruce Wayne. That should have already been established and been obvious to anyone paying attention. So yeah, the the Martha line I hate and I understand that people are going to say, well, like, you just didn't get the thematics. Like, no, I get it. I just don't think it's- That's good. the problem. The, the, the exact problem is the theme. The theme is actually pretty- you're you're saying uh, you know Bruce Wayne should have done more detective work. Fair fair play. The reason it's so bad is because of the theme. Because hey hey guys, had you just worked out this script a little bit harder, you could have figured it out. Because the theme is obvious. It's so in your face. It's the literal. It is the literal dialogue. That's the problem. So that is a good jumping off point for my next question, which I have a lot to say about. What is the worst thing you can say about this movie? And then don't worry, fans, we will get to positives, of which there are quite a few. Don't worry. So, yeah, that's my whole take on the Martha scene. In terms of my nomination for the 10-year award for Worst Line of Dialogue, I'm sticking with Batman. He has the power to wipe out the entire human race. And if we believe there's even a 1% chance that he's our enemy, we have to take it as an absolute certainty. Calm your face, Bruce. My God, man, there's nothing going on right now. There's no alarms going off. There's no crimes being committed. You're just talking to Alfred, who's essentially your surrogate father. If we're saying Lex Luthor needs to take it down several notches, this dude needs to take it down so many notches in this scene because I understand where he's coming from, but he is making such a leap and such an attempt at sounding so dramatic and filled with gravitas that it, to me in the theater it came off as unintentionally hilarious like i snickered in my seat even though i understood what he was trying to say but i think it would have worked better if he underplays it and he shows some restraint and it's not pure fire and tombstone uh you know emotion i, I think if he calmly explains what his real fears and problems are it goes a long way into convincing the audience you know he's got a point but here i'm just like well he's willfully ignoring literally everything Superman's ever done, which is a pretty, you know, stellar track record outside of Man of Steel and, and a clear suggestion that this dude is just trying to do the right thing as best he can. And, you know, I, I just don't think it fully pans out the way they intended. Yep. Although I do get where he's coming from. But this is something I rewound because I just found it unintentionally hilarious and I wanted a good laugh. 
but there are other elements of this film that I'm just like, wait, rewind that real quick because I want to see it again, whether it's because it was amazing and it was awesome or because it was nonsensical and I needed to explain. What was a moment within the film that you were like, wait, let me go back and take another look at that? So what I want to do first is I want to disclude the entire third act because <laughs> I, no, not because it's bad, because I just feel like choosing a fight scene would be sort of cheating. Um, yeah. So I'm gonna go with when Clark meets Bruce for the first time. Mr. Wayne, Mr. Wayne. Clark Kent, Daily Planet. Oh, my foundation has already issued a statement in support of uh, books. Sir? Well, pretty girl, bad habit. Don't quote me, all right? What's your position the Bat Vigilante in Gotham? Daily Planet. Wait, do I own this one? Or is that the other guy? Civil liberties are being trampled on in your city. Good people living in fear. Don't believe everything you hear, son. I've seen it, Mr. Wayne. He thinks he's above the law. The Daily Planet criticizing those who think they're above the law is a little hypocritical. What'd you say? Considering every time your hero saves a cat out of a tree, you read a puff piece editorial about an alien who, if he wanted to, could burn the whole place down. It wouldn't be a damn thing we could do to stop. Most of the world doesn't share your opinion, Mr. Wayne. Maybe it's the Gotham City in me. We just have a bad history with freaks dressed like clowns. Really? That's, that scene is crackling. It is. I mean, these guys are both bringing their A game. The banter is on point where Bruce Wayne is like, do I own you? Do I own this paper? And then he's like, he drops that line where he's like, you know, you know, for you guys to, to be going for Batman when every time Superman saves a cat from a tree, you write a puff piece uh, when he could burn the whole place down if he wants to. And then he says, uh, you know, tw 20 years in Gotham, I guess, uh, I'm not sure of the exact quote, but he's like, I guess I just don't like freaks dressed like clowns amazing but then as seems to be the theme with this film jesse eisenberg then shows up and ruins the entire moment <laughs> and it's like i know ben affleck doesn't get a ton of credit for his acting but as like the smug powerful douchebag in that scene he is so good in that moment like i believe every i'm like this guy is bruce wayne so then i want to roll that into when bruce meets diana not at that first party, but at that next party where they like look at that sword and she's just looking incredible. And he says it, he's like, I bet in that dress, nine out of 10 men will let you do what you want. And she goes, and you're the uh, 10th. And he goes, no, I'm the first probably like that. So like you could tell like, oh, so this dude has got fucking swag. Like he is he, James Bond. Bruce he Wayne, doesn't just get laid because he's rich and ha has a square jaw. Like, yeah, of course that stuff helps, but he's got game too. You know what I mean? Like he's literally spitting game at, as far as he knows, like a spy and he's crushing it. Um, so I think the two scenes where Bruce meets the, non-superhero alter egos of his counterparts are, are incredibly strong. So I have to agree completely. My Rewind That Real Quick award goes to every Bruce and Diana interaction. It's a fake. The real one was sold in 98 on the black market. Now it hangs. And... Over the bed of the Sultan of Hajar. Excuse me. 
Excuse me, miss. The other night you took something that doesn't belong to you. Stealing's not polite. Is it stealing if you steal from another thief? Who are you? Someone interested in the same man you are. Is that right? I believe Mr. Luther is a photograph that belongs to me. Did you get it? As it happens, no, I didn't. The data you copied is military-grade encryption. You know, I bet with that dress, nine out of ten men will let you get away with anything. But you're the ten. Mm, I'm guessing I'm the first. I see through that babe in the woods, I... You don't know me, but I've known a few women like you. Oh, I don't think you've ever known a woman like me. You know, it's true what they say about little boys. Born with no natural inclination to share. I didn't steal your drive. I borrowed it. You'll find it in the glove compartment of your car. Mr. Wayne? Because I think those are great interpersonal dynamics. I think the dialogue is really on point. I think the acting is really good. And for all my Justice League animated series fans, we know that there's some romantic sparks between these two characters. And I really, really would have liked to have seen that shelled out more in the kind of future of this franchise had it continued. Because I think that's just a really, really good dynamic that is fan-pleasing, but also makes sense. Yep. Now, we've talked about some of the positives. We've talked about some of the negatives. I want to kind of close off on, on our two biggest in that regard. So first of all, what is the worst thing you can say about this movie? And uh, I've got a lot to say here. It pains me, Brandon. It does. Because as I said at the top, the hype for me going into this film was real. Not only were we getting... Superman versus Batman, but we were getting a Batman that, A, we literally hadn't seen in terms of his look. The gray suit was a first. B, in terms of, as we talked about, age. They were dropping you into a, a Batman story that's been told for 20 years already, which I think is fantastic. But Batman turned out to be sort of a fucking moron, really, frankly. All it took... All it took to trick him, and, and even Lex says it. He says it at one point. He's like, all I had to do was send some mail, you know, poke the right buttons, and now he's off the, off the rails. He, as you point out, he doesn't use any detective work whatsoever. How he couldn't figure out who Superman is, how he has a life, what Lex is doing, all this stuff is preposterous to me. And then the final big one, which I have gone on my rant already, but Jesse Eisenberg puts forth one of the worst per performances, not, not just of his career, but in comic book film. I think when looked in context of Lex Luthor being one of the all-time most iconic villains and what he ended up doing with that chance is a catastrophe. Um, and I think it's no surprise that he's going to be a one and done in, in that role. Yeah, before I give my answer, which is I want to point out some specific examples within my answer, I want to acknowledge I could never do better. Like if you gave me a you know, $200 million budget and you know, years and years to develop and make this movie, I couldn't do better. I'm not saying that I think I'm capable of that or that I know better. 
but essentially evaluating, critiquing, analyzing, and dissecting content is what we do for a living. I think it's fair to point out the negatives in that effort. So to me, Batman v Superman overall is an excuse to portray our iconic superheroes as the worst versions of themselves in a kind of inaccurate attempt to deconstruct hero worship. And that effort is essentially strung together by half-baked concepts and, and overwrought stylization. And I have specific examples that I think illustrate what I'm talking about. The first of which is Superman leaving the scene after the Capitol is bombed, which I think is the single probably worst moment in this movie. Instead of the bombing, which I think is kind of shock value and, and overly dark, actually hearing what Superman had to say in that moment, hearing him answer for the destruction that has followed him, would have been the single most fascinating aspect of this entire movie for me, because that would have provided some much needed insight into his character. It would have helped him establish himself in the real world of BVS in the eyes of world powers and the American people. It would have been a grounding moment that both the audience and the universe could have understood who Superman is, why he's doing what he's doing. But instead they bypass any real compelling character drama for a violent bombing that Superman then flees the scene Hold from. on, hold on, hold on. I just want to cut, cut in here. In the ultimate cut, he sticks around and helps out. Yeah, in the ultimate cut he does, and I should mention that he does. That's a very good point. But the theatrical version is, is an egregious mistake, a grotesque mistake. And I would have much rather, again, regardless of him sticking around or not, I would have much rather him actually open up and provide some honest self-assessment to the world and to the audience in that moment. And instead, they kind of chose to go with this darker, more literally and metaphorically explosive set piece, which I didn't like. My number two example is the entire Batman versus Superman fight scene is uninteresting to me. And I'm not saying it's not great action. It's actually really, really well done, especially for them having to work within the parameters of Superman could essentially tear his head off at any time. But to me, and we've talked about it throughout this podcast, it is a series of trite contrivances to create a conflict between these two and then sustain it over the course of an entire action sequence when in reality, a very quick conversation would end all of the problems between the two or at least end this specific conflict. There's no reason for this fight to happen or continue other than that's the big selling point of the movie. And I think the only saving grace is that we kind of get to see Bruce's intelligence, which has taken a lot from Frank Miller's The Dark Knight Returns in the varying strategies he implements to disorient and battle Superman. But overall, I think this is a missed opportunity due to kind of poor writing, sapping any dramatic tension out of the fight. And overall, what these two examples say to me is that the sum of BVS's parts are actually not greater than the whole. There are some amazing scenes, like the warehouse scene that we have talked about, like the opening scene, like the opening 45 minutes of which there's so much to enjoy, but the surrounding context falls short. There are so many examples of these standout kinetic sequences being really impressive, but not building to more, a more complete and compelling whole. And that is my number one problem with Batman v Superman as a whole. Well, I think that's actually a great way to, and we don't have this wrote down, so we're, we're just going to go on the uh, fly here, folks, because 
I think it's a good time to talk about that that fight scene because that is perhaps, as I said, the selling point for a comic book fan. Batman v Superman. That's what you went to see. That's now, the first submission for the casual moviegoer. Yeah, and and whether you like the idea of those two fighting, it's happened. It is historically correct. It is not 